God said, I need somebody willing to get up before dawn, milk cows, work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. My administration will be focused on three very important words. Jobs, jobs, jobs. He must be a minister, a social worker, a diplomat, a tough guy, and a gentleman. And of course, he'll have to be a genius because he'll have to feed a family on a policeman's salary. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. We, the citizens of America, are now joined in a great national effort to rebuild our country and restore its promise for all of our people. Because today, we are not merely transferring power from one administration to another, or from one party to another. But we are transferring power from Washington, D.C., and giving it back to you, the people. Hold on to your seats. Buckle up for safety. You are now entering another dimension with The Scott Adams Show. And that's right. My name is Scott Adams. You're listening to The Scott Adams Show. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. And uh, wow. Well, uh, you know, Dr. Fauci came out of the woodwork and finally admitted what we all knew, uh, that uh, this uh, COVID experience that we've been involved in experiencing uh, is not necessarily a naturally born virus. Hmm. That's kind of an interesting development coming from his mouth. But that's because the truth would be an anomaly. It wouldn't be something that we would normally hear coming from Dr. Fauci. You got to ask your question, why is he lying? Why was he lying? Of course, they're lying because they want the draconian control of your lives. That's the sad, sad part of the whole thing. So we have a clip here that I uh, was having some trouble uh, queuing. Uh, Let's just see here if I can get this uh, clip. Um, Let's see. Uh, Right here. Okay. So this is kind of a talk about that. And uh, I want to go ahead and play this. Hold on. Getting information out. All right. Well, there's one moment in particular that's already making some headlines. And I wanted to run it by you for additional comment. And that was Senator Rand Paul, um, who you've tangled with in the past, basically suggesting that you and the NIH funded risky research that eventually down the line is connected to COVID-19. I don't want to dwell on this for too long, but I did want to give you that chance to react to his comments today. Yeah, I mean, that's actually preposterous. And I mean, to bring something that up is really not helpful. He was saying we funded a kind of research in China that could lead to dangerous research. That's not the case. So what he was saying was just absolutely not true. It's really unfortunate that he brought that up. Uh, It really does nothing but cloud the issue of what we're trying to do. Uh, So it was just, you know, unfortunate that he he said that. It was said in an accusatory way that just made no sense and was not based in any fact at all. That has been the the subject of a lot of our fact checking um, on the coronavirus for the past year. And um, like you said, it is 
there's a lot of cloudiness around the origins of COVID-19 still. Um, so I wanted to ask, are you still confident that it developed naturally? No, actually, I, th- that's the point that I said. And, and I think the real um, unfortunate aspect of what Senator Paul did is he was conflating research in a collaborative way with Chinese uh, scientists, which was, you know, you'd almost have to say if we did not do that, we would almost be irresponsible because SARS-CoV-1 clearly originated in China and we were fortunate to escape a major pandemic. So we really had to learn a lot more about the viruses that were there, about whether or not people were getting infected with bad viruses. So in a very minor collaboration as part of a subcontract of a grant, we had a collaboration with some Chinese com- uh, Chinese uh, scientists. And, and what he conflated that is that therefore we were involved in creating the virus, which is the most ridiculous, majestic leap I've ever heard of. Um, but no, I'm not convinced uh, about that. I think that we should continue to investigate what went on in China until we find out to the best of our ability exactly what happened. Certainly, the people who've investigated say it likely was the emergence from an animal reservoir that then infected individuals, but it could have been something else. And we need to find that out. So, you know, that's the reason why I said I'm perfectly in favor of any investigation that looks into the origin of the virus. Well, that's a that's a real departure. And why wouldn't we have known that sooner? This guy knew it since day one. He knew it since before day one. He was predicting that there was going to be a pandemic coming out in two, early 2019, 2018. He was saying, oh, yeah, I think it was uh, about a year before the pandemic hit. And he was talking about, you know, this is how you, like, forensic research, right? We're finding out what Fauci knew. How in the world was it that, you know, Fauci was the guy that we were going to be using as the sole source? And why did the media embrace him so much? They didn't care at all about what Scott Atlas had to say. Scott Atlas was basically saying, you know, this hasn't... We're not into draconian measures. We're not into controlling people's lives. And we're finding out that what Scott Atlas was saying was actually proven to be a lot more correct. I think right. I think he was right, Scott Atlas. We're looking at the states that did not enforce the draconian measures in the same way that these liberal states had. And we're seeing that the results uh, in uh, the open states are either not worse and certainly not, certainly not worse and in a lot of cases better than their liberal counterparts so if you compare the numbers in red states and what in the beginning you know don't forget remember we were talking about fudging the numbers and the numbers are all over the place cuz we hear these different arguments about um Como Andrew Como hiding the the devastation of the numbers for his boneheaded decisions related to uh, nursing homes. Okay, that's the first part. And you're like, oh, okay. Well, he was trying to make the numbers look better. But we we also remember that in the rollout of this whole thing, 
And let's not forget, because this is how we get to the point where, you know, our uh, people that are reluctant to buy into the vaccines or or trust their government or trust these trusted institutions, these institutions that we used to trust, our military, our Pentagon. We used to think that they were apolitical. Now we know that they're political. We used to trust the CDC, and now we no longer do. And we don't trust them because, and the Democrats would like us to forget about all the things that happened in the beginning. And how there were empty hospitals when they said that they were packed. There was these uh, videos that were shot in South America and Italy and Beirut and wherever, where they would look like war zones. And they said they were New York hospitals. There were these actors that were working with Samaritan's Purse. Yeah, Billy Graham's son's outfit. Not doing the right thing in New York. Just fundraising off of this thing. Then we had the empty ships, Mercy and Comfort. All empty. And we had these people, these um, these uh, mobile morgues. Yet... The the uh, funeral homes were empty. The emergency rooms were empty. Uh, we, we had many nurses call in and, and, and hospital officials, a hospital uh, representation call in and talk to us. And we've read reports that one of the hardest things was keeping the staff. I had my own experience, you know, where it seems like the medical industry has gotten bit by the liberal bug, the ivory tower bug. The bug that says you could basically do anything you want and you're not going to be pleased. Just like uh, if you're an illegal, you could just walk through the border and know that you're going to be set free. So the person that's trying to get from Ireland to New York and spending $10,000 in legal fees and trying to work with their immigration attorney and doing it the right way, ought to just go down to the southern border and cross illegally and show zero respect for our country's values and goal, uh, values and laws and just thumb their nose up at us, wave their flag, and say, you're, you know, you're going to let me in or else. Now, the Trump era, that didn't happen. We're a nation. If we can't control our borders, who? What, what are we? Are we even a country? And that's old news because this is like Obama 2.0. And why not? Because Rick Grinnell said Susan Rice is the shadow president. Anybody thinks that Joe Biden is a president needs to think again. He's a puppet. They got the dirtiest, rotten scoundrel known to man in politics with his son, Hunter, who, by the way, I just read where he's been to Andrews Air Force Base like 26 times. What's he doing there? Flying on government jets all over the place. Engaged in what? Quid pro quo deals. Somebody needs to put a GPS up his butt or in his crack pipe where he, you know, he always takes that with him. And, and follow this guy and see what he's up to. Because it's no good, I can assure you. It's all kinds of Biden crime family 
quid pro quo kickback schemes. Why why they can't even get some guy we don't know to do it instead of Hunter, the crackhead, sex addict, is beyond me. Why they can't hire a guy to do their dirty work for them is beyond me. I guess the only people they can trust are blood relatives, which is pretty sad in and of itself. But as I was saying, you know, we, we have institutions that really don't, uh, that have the respect from the middle America anymore. And to me, that's, uh, that's a big problem in and of itself. And, um, Victor David Hansen put out an article. He says, feet of clay icons. So basically the subtitle is our most important and cherished institutions, the military science and the law are losing the trust of middle America. So the head of the state, the head, the head, yeah, the head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly iron and partly baked clay. Daniel 2.33. So what he's talking about here, and the reason why I cited this reference to this article is, A, I'm a big fan of Victor David Hansen. B, uh, over at the Hoover Institute, what was up in Stanford. Americans mostly have given up on familiar institutions for entertainment, guidance, and reassurance. What now do Hollywood, network news, the media in general, Silicon Valley, the NBA, the NFL, Major League Baseball, or higher education all have in common? What do they have in common? A propensity to lecture Americans on their moral inferiorities a general ethical decline in their own disciplines and a strange obsession to acquire great wealth while living in contrast to what they advocate for others. Gretchen Whitmer comes to mind, right? We've heard about the news. She was at some table, joined together, not wearing masks. Oh, but they all had vaccines. So professional athletes are now reminders. LeBron James comes to mind. You know, the undereducated LeBron James. Dumb as a rock, LeBron James wants to tell me how woke I should be and that critical race theory makes sense, that hating America is a good idea, defunding the police should happen. And he bows to China. Well, that's where he got, you know, I don't bow to China, and America is great. And I don't believe in skin color as a deciding factor on your path in life. But LeBron James is a racist, segregationist, American-hating jerk that bows to China. Now, we could write it off that he's just ignoramus, but it gets bigger and broader than that. He violated, he was at a party, he violated all kinds of COVID rules, I guess, for the NBA standards. But they're going to just slap him on the wrist and let him play. Two standards of justice. for the One for the elite, one for, we saw it with Hillary Clinton, right? 
professional athletes are now reminders of why no no one ever wants to be enlightened by multimillionaire, quarter-educated narcissists. The public, a half a century ago, lost faith in academia. It wasn't just that most new bad ideas could be traced to the campus or that hothouse professors increasingly seemed both ignorant and arrogant, but rather their product, educating students, was defective. No one believes anymore a BA is synonymous with knowledge. More likely, it is a euphemism for incurring $100,000 in debt. And so, by the way, universities are starting to lower their prices. The demand for colleges is going to the wayside. I've often thought, I'd say for the last couple of decades, if you took your hundred to $200,000 and planted it in a, a seed money into a any business, I mean, going back 20 years, television repair, typewriter repair, computer consulting, PR firm, you put $200,000 into any kind of business, you know, construction, carpentry, you know, house building, deck building, welding, whatever, you know, plumbing, anything. You put $200,000 in seed money and the things you will learn in life just by negotiating business, about building trust and building relationships, those are the things you take with you. Not whether or not Nostradamus was right 78% of the time. Who gives it? Who gives it? You know, who cares? I don't care. So, whoa. So, that's my bad. We have, uh, <laughs> I got to change my audio input because we had the, uh, that was weird though. That freaked me out when I heard that. Professional athletes are now reminders of that. But until recently, there were still a few institutions we considered sacrosanct, incorruptible and invincible amid faith-based assertions, toxic, woke, fads. I mean, let's face it, the, church, the churches are even disappointing us. I can't tell you how many um, Episcopalian churches have adopted the rainbow flag and, and put up the sign Black Lives Matter. I can't tell you how many. I could take a photo every other church, it seems like, in, in, the, in some of these towns. Black Lives Matter is a poster sign, which I think is one of the most ignorant signs you could ever say. Black Lives Matter. It's just so dumb. Yeah, it's just a dumb slogan because all lives matter. Everybody knows that. As soon as you get into white privilege, which is what they're talking about in these uh, Palm Beach uh, schools district, uh, they're pushing down the people's throats, white privilege, right? And elsewhere, by the way. I mean, they're talking about white privilege and the 1619, you know, uh, studies or the... Um, Critical race theory, you know, and hatred of America. DeSantis has been all over that. He says he finds it insulting that we would endorse uh, teachings that would uh, teach our children to hate our country. And I'll tell you why I chose this Victor David Hansen article to talk about. But let's just go ahead and wrap up that one little part of this. It's the top part of it. 
amid faith-based assertions, toxic woke fads, civil dissension, and hatred of the past. One certainly was the military. Another was science, or rather the scientists, researchers, and investigators who devoted themselves to disinterested empiricism. And a third was the sacred idea of the law, or the idea that Americans respect our statutes because statutes, I should say, statutes because they were crafted by ourselves and applicable to all, equally and without exception. And I I personally took comfort. I said, no matter if Biden tries to destroy our Constitution, we have Amy Coney Barrett, and we have Gorsuch, and we have Kavanaugh, and we have all these different conservative justices. Of course, my favorite, Clarence Thomas and Alito. We have even Justice Roberts' leans conservative a little bit, right? The Chief Justice. So we have like six, you know, potentially conservative thinking minds. How in the world could Joe Biden? But we're finding out that that's, he could skirt around this stuff and the courts will be cowardice and they'll shy away from anything that's difficult anymore. It used to be the courts were brave and protecting our Constitution and we're losing faith in the courts. After after the the devastation of, you know, the two standards of justice when Trump took office, it's sort of like Trump almost changed everything. Or should I say, didn't change, exposed everything. There's a difference, right? There's a difference because one suggests that maybe this, this was going on for a long time. Just look at the Kennedys in Chappaquiddick. You can go on back even further. You know, just look at the way the media treated FDR and protected him, protected his secrets. How about the Kennedys, you know, when they were um, womanizing in all these different fancy places with Hollywood and Marilyn Monroe? Not anymore. Well, they'll protect Joe Biden. So maybe that part's not different. They've always been radically left. We just didn't know it. All three have lost their luster. Americans do not trust them, at least not in the old way. Perhaps it was the 2020 perfect storm of plague, quarantine, recession, riot, and contentiousness, uh, contentious election, and red-blue antipathies that ripped off the scab and exposed beneath something far different than what the public had assumed. So protect or proselytize. The Pentagon seems to have lost its way. And he goes on and he talks about this. The reason why I bring it up is because I think it's by design. I think that the only way they're going to advance uh, advance their cause is to destroy middle class. And that should make you all very scared. But not cowardly. That should embolden you to fight back. Because at some point, you know, you could you could back around and you could walk around and you could walk to the other side of the street and you can do all kinds of things to avoid a conflict with what you, what you know is an aggressive adversary. Whether it's in the streets, whether it's in Washington, the halls of uh, politics in Washington, D.C. or wherever. You could try to avoid conflict and confrontation all you want. 
But sometimes in life, they get right in your grill. And they don't give you any choice but to bite and to fight and to punch back. Otherwise, you just allow their steamroller to roll over you like a doormat. And we can't do that anymore. I think we've been passive enough. I think we've been too passive. Somehow, we've lost our leverage. We've allowed them to win. We've allowed them to gain leverage and power and manipulate us like we're puppets. Remember we were talking about last week, talking about how the vaccines are going to separate us? They're doing that by design. They're doing strategy where we're just reacting like whack-a-mole. No strategy. These vaccines are going to separate red states from blue states. If I'm in a red state where they ban vaccine passports and I need to do business in New York where they mandate vaccine passports, I'm screwed because I don't have a passport. I can't get into the building. Like in Oregon, they passed this law that says you need a passport to get in their building. If I want to go and sell my product and I have to go up and do a sales presentation in Oregon, and I'm from a red state that doesn't require vaccine passports, and I don't have one, I'm screwed. I'm going to have to zoom it in, do a teleconference. That's going to put me at a disadvantage, maybe. But it goes beyond that. It separates us ideologically. It reminds us of our differences. I was in uh, Annapolis uh, over the weekend, and um, I got to say, I, I walked in this store. Uh, I walked in also, I walked into a Best Buy. And I walked in and they said, I said, what's your mask policy? Because, you know, CDC, you know, our, uh, I think the state of Virginia lifted some things and they're following the CDC, whatever. I said, what's your mask policy? Because I don't wear a mask unless I have to. And they said, uh, as you wish, you know, you can wear it if you want. You know. I said, great. And my mask stayed in my pocket and got to go around Best Buy. Now, everybody was wearing a mask but me, you know, I mean, it was kind of weird. And they were all looking at me a little funny, too, it seemed like. Maybe it was just me misinterpreting how people were looking at me. I don't know. But the idea was that was pretty good. But in, in Annapolis... Beautiful town, by the way. I have to say, Annapolis blew me away. Beautiful, beautiful town. I mean, just surpassed my expectations. I just thought it was amazing. And they said, I said, what's your mask policy? And they said, they said, if you had a vaccine, if you have a vaccine, you, you don't have to wear a mask. And if you do have a vaccine, if you're not vaccinated, you do what you know what I mean, right? If you have a vaccine, you don't have to wear a mask. If you didn't take your vaccine, you have you should wear a mask. I think it was you should. And so I was with a group, so and who knew I didn't have the vaccine? I I didn't want to appear like a, a jerk. So I uh because I could have lied, right? But, you know, I didn't lie. Um, and so I put my mask on. But then I made a point because I had just recently been talking about this. And I said, 
you know, there's such things as HIPAA restrictions, like HIPAA privacy. You know, your health record should be private. And so it's one of those things where it's like, okay, if I'm the only one wearing a mask in this store, then everybody's going to know I'm the guy that didn't get the vaccine. Everybody else did, but I didn't. And that's going to out me. That's going to basically illustrate to the world in public that uh, what my health record is, that I didn't get the vaccine. Could be that. That could be a violation of my HIPAA rights, right? But then also, it could also make me look like maybe I'm a Trump supporter. Maybe I deserve to be hit over the head with a latte, you know, or coffee thrown in my face or whatever it was that they were selling. I forget. Anyway, the point is you get the idea. It outs me politically. It outs me medically. I think it's, you know, something that needs to be addressed, needs to be of concern, needs to be looked into. You know, maybe I'm shunned and shamed like uh, Smirkanish was advancing. CNN. They were like, I think we should shun. We should shun these people that don't get their vaccines and don't wear masks. We should shun them. That's what Michael Smirkanish said from Philadelphia. What an idiot. Can't believe that guy had a show. I mean, boneheadedly dumb. And that's what we're up against, though. That's that's the uh, territory we're heading in. But... You know, when we talk about this Victor David Hansen, David Davis Hansen article, you almost wonder, are these institutions, you know, basically saying, okay, the cat's out of the bag. So we're just going to come out and be, uh, be uh, transparent that we are out to get you and that they don't really care anymore. Like Don Lemon or, you know, any one of these media outlets, they, it's clear. They, know, they already know that everybody knows they're liberal. So why hide it? So then they can just continue to talk with a slanted view. And they hide the truth, you know, they hide the, the conservative truth. And they promote liberal spin. And, you know, it's really a war of attrition or it's a war of... Uh, Ideas. It's a war of um, basically momentum and popularity. I've I've been saying this lately. The, only, the what's going on with the vaccines and why this battle that that we're faced up with is so important is the seventy thirty rule. So what's the seventy thirty rule? What is that? Seventy thirty. It's how corporations, it's how the Democrats have masterfully used the corporations to get on board with their agenda. So the idea is, is that these corporations, these, these liberals will get in bed with corporations. And the corporations, and why the corporations like the left is beyond me, because they just want to tax corporations to death. They get engaged with trade deals that aren't good. But generally speaking, the corporations that love the liberals are the multinational corporations that benefit from slave labor markets. And they skirt around any tax burden because they end up 
being able to set up shop in other countries and still sell their goods here in America and the tax base, they're willing to pay it because they're benefiting elsewhere. And they are able to keep competitive to the point where they can put out small mom and pop shops out of Main Street. I see one thing happening where big corporations are battling. Now, I just mentioned Best Buy had a open policy. I guarantee you that's going to change. They're going to follow the 70-30 rule. And that's why when you hear a politician saying, we need 70% of Americans to adopt the or get the vaccine. You know why they're saying that? It's not for health reasons, because we've already established that with herd immunity, with antibodies from people who have gotten COVID, which let's just say a third of America has gotten COVID. The antibodies alone are immunity that lend itself to herd immunity. But then you get 70% of the, say you get one third, I think we're up to a third. 33% of Americans have the vaccine. Well, you add that third plus another third, I mean, you're up to two thirds. We're safe. I mean, look at the numbers. Nobody's getting sick from this. Nobody's dying from this. We don't have a pandemic anymore. Take your hand off my Bill of Rights. I have freedoms that were guaranteed to me. And they're being taken away from me. For no reason. They don't even have a reason anymore. There's no emergency mandate. And a lot of states are starting to address this. And we're going to play a clip by Rand Paul that's going to get into that in a little bit about Kentucky. But, and illustrates a lot of really great little things that, that are, I think, important. But one of the things I want to say is they've adopted, like, you know, when corporations started to adopt dual language, <clears throat> if you speak Spanish, press one. That was all part of corporations getting on board. Corporations would then work out hiring relationships with the government. So we're going to let all these immigrants in, but you got to hire them. Otherwise, they're going to be in a bad way. Okay, we'll, we'll do that because you can get them cheaper and so on and so forth. So many, so, so with 70-30, corporations can mandate certain things like you have to wear a mask if you're not vaccinated. You have to show us a vaccine passport. They can do all those draconian measures only if the numbers are on their side. Only if the numbers give them the economy of scale that they need to turn a profit. Only if they could avoid deterring their customer base. There's a certain number. It's a magic number. It's different in every business. But let's just say we're playing around with the number 70-30. is not going to get it done. 50-50 is not enough. That's 50-50 chance that they'll crash and burn with their draconian measures and they'll lose their trust of their customer base. So that's why when I went into Best Buy this weekend and I said, what's your mask policy? They said, as you, as you wish. I said, wow, that's interesting. That's because they've been sitting around the board tables figuring out 
what the magic number is before they can actually set new policy within their own corporation. And I guarantee you that's going to change. Now, frankly, it should change better. As we get more and more away from this pandemic, it should actually change better for us. But it's not. It's going to go the way of vaccine passports, restricted and required. Oregon and California and all these liberal states are setting the way. And the answer and the counter to that, and actually it is a smart move, is the red states are are restricting. The reason why they're restricting and the reason why they're actually push, uh, pushing um, issues in, in the state legislature about abortion and <clears throat> other key issues is they want the court, they want the nine-man court to weigh in on these things. They don't want a stacked court that Biden is trying to get. They want that nine-man conservative court, conservative-leaning court, to weigh in on these topics, these issues. So they're smart on that, too. They're expediting those. But they're also pushing these other ones. They're pushing election restrictions because they want this nine-man court to weigh in on, on different laws that give them constitutional rights to actually uh, do certain things whether it's a conservative uh, value on election fraud and integrity or the liberal. And both states are playing this game, but I think the liberals know that this Supreme Court, the nine-man Supreme Court, is not a court friendly to them. So therefore, that's why you see more Republican states pushing the agenda for issues that will almost undoubtedly reach the Supreme Court. But the 70-30 rule is going to allow corporations to make a business economic decision to enforce mandates. And again, they're a private business sort of, right? But maybe a publicly traded business, but a private business. They're not public policy. So even though the law might say one thing, they can mandate another. And that's what's so scary about it is you can't control what the corporations decide to do when you walk into their premises, their property, their, uh, you know, their home, their house. So you walk in there and you might have a set of rules that aren't constitutional, but that's okay. You don't have to walk into their store. Well, we don't want that. And so what the Democrats are trying to do is push 70-30. And they're trying to push that down the throats of corporations who will adopt draconian measures and do the dirty work for the Democrats. But they can't do it economically. They can't take that risk. They can't pull that trigger. They can't make that decision unless it's 70-30. Economically, it doesn't work at 50-50. They lose half their customer base. It's too risky. They're not going to take that risk. So our fight is not just with policy in Washington, D.C. Our fight is with public relations and also boycotts and our own set of mandates and rules and regulations, our own set of guidelines that we set for ourselves to let the corporations know we are not going to be subjected to these kind of draconian rules. But hey, 
you know, a good background, a good standard precedent for that is the social media tech giants and how they slapped us around like we were little, you know, villains, like we were like sort of criminals. Trump supporters were treated like criminals on social media. We were shut down without an explanation. We were slapped across the face in a sense, metaphorically speaking. We were put out of business. I mean, things that you would never, and we're still going back to that well. You know, most of us on the right can't stand Mark Zuckerberg or Jack Dorsey over at Twitter and Mark Zuckerberg over at Facebook. We can't stand them. But yet we still crawl back online and do our thing on social media. We don't want to. We don't like it. Doing business with the devil. But here we are sometimes doing that. And I'm as guilty as anybody. But I, I choose, you know, I do less. But I just wish it wasn't this way. I just wish that they were fair. And we we rely on our politicians to bail us out of these jams, and they won't. Section 230, please protect us, lawmakers. Protect us by, don't, don't give the big tech that Section 230 blanket protection, that, in, that protector that allows us Allows them to get away unscathed and prevents us from taking them to court for the damages that they cause. Please help us level the playing field and take away those advantages and and uh, to create a disadvantage for us. But they won't do it. I want you to listen before we run out of time. I want you to listen to some of Rand Paul's uh, speech that he gave recently to local constituents in Kentucky. It's just so good. The first 10 minutes of this or first whatever, and we don't even have enough time for all that, but the first five minutes is just really strong. Let's take a listen. And we're listening. We're still listening. It's been a tough year, you know, to have a restaurant or a bar. And I'm not sure the government's making it any easier From my perspective, I think government's job is to keep the peace, keep the law and order, enforce contracts, and try to stay out of the way of business, not get in the way of doing business. So I think we've gotten kind of carried away, particularly our governor and the current president. And the current president has exciting news. I don't know if you've heard this. On July 4th, you can gather with two other people that have been vaccinated, and you can very quickly pull your mask down for a little bit with them inside. Do you think President Biden gets out at all? I mean, what do you think he thinks? Really? He doesn't think people have already figured out if they've been vaccinated? Guess what? By and large, they have immunity. By and large, they're doing very well. The amount of people being hospitalized or dying after vaccine approaches zero. It's the same with infection, too. And this is the thing they're not telling you. They're like, oh, we only have a third of the people vaccinated. Well, a third of the people already got it. So we have a bunch of people like myself who got it naturally and have immunity now. Probably about 100 million of us. All right, we have here. Hold on. Tally is about 32 million people have gotten COVID. But even the CDC, which is very conservative, says 
for every person who got it, there's two more people who got it. They just didn't know they had it. And if any of you have had it and you have children at home, you were sick and you didn't notice your kids getting sick, about half of them got it anyway because the kids show very few symptoms. But the thing is, this is good news, and this is a good news that's being hidden from any, everyone as we put on more and more mandates and as the governor keeps everything locked down in Kentucky, they're ignoring the good news. The good news is a third of us have had it. A third of us have been vaccinated. Of those over 80, over 65 years old, 85% have gotten the vaccine. They think we're too stupid to figure this out. Most people over 65 have figured it out. But in a free country, it's your decision to make. In a free country, you decide what your risks are. Every time you get in a car, every time you ride a bike, every time you get on a motorcycle, whether you wear a helmet, you don't wear a helmet, what you eat, all of these are risks you take. And in a free society, you make them. The government doesn't get to make these decisions. There's no precedent for what Governor Bashir has done closing down restaurants. There's also no authority for it. The state legislator in January revoked his powers, trimmed his sales, and took the emergency statute and said to Governor Bashir, you no longer have the right to do this. If you make an edict, within 30 days that edict expires unless it's approved by the state legislature. So how did Governor Bashir respond? He sued the state legislature. He found a liberal judge in Frankfurt, surprise, and that judge upheld this. So right now the state legislature passes a law the governor objects, and the courts say the law is null and void. Now, this is going to go to the Supreme Court, but this will probably be the most important Kentucky Supreme Court case in our lifetime. They're going to decide whether or not the state legislature has the power to restrict the governor's powers. And realize when they pass their legislation, all they're doing is amending their own legislation from the 1990s. When they pass the emergency legislation, I think almost everybody who was there thought it meant, well, if there was a tornado in Harrodsburg, the National Guard would come with water and blankets and shelter and take care of us for a few days till we got on our feet again. No one would object to that. But nobody thought that a policy lasting a year to limit how many people can be in a restaurant or a hotel or a bowling alley or a hair salon and how you operate your business, no one ever thought that could be done by the will of one person. Nobody who knows the history of our country believes that power should be concentrated in the hands of one person, that anyone should have unchecked powers. I don't care whether it's a Republican or a Democrat. If this were a Republican governor, I'd be telling you exactly the same thing. No one person should have that much power. The division of power, the decentralization of power, the idea that you have your local state legislator has a vote to determine whether he agrees with the governor, these are the fundamental concepts of a constitutional government. With MailChimp's marketing Ab- smarts. Absolutely, right? So we got another just mini break here. Okay, here we go. If you have no constitution, if you have no checks and balances, you will have unlimited power, which brings about another problem. The governor put these edicts in in about March of last year. We went nine months with no ability of the legislature to push back. Why? They can't call themselves back into session. So frankly, I think one of the other reforms we need is we need to allow the state legislature to call themselves back in session. Because otherwise, the governor operates unimpeded with unlimited power till the state legislature comes back. This is an incredibly important issue. Because while this governor has done things to involve and intervene in your business, you could even possibly, if you have a great imagination, imagine someone even worse. 
but does the next time we get an epidemic. Also realize that what we've done with the school system, closing the school system and shutting it down without an infection. Does anybody not question that? A few years ago, you know what used to happen, and it's happened during most of my adult lifetime, if you got the flu at school and 10, maybe 15 kids were sick, they'd close the school down for a few days or a week or two and let it smolder and, 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 and abate, and then they'd open the school again. Do you realize we closed down every school in America without a kid getting sick? Now, I'm not saying kids didn't get sick, but there were no epidemics. Does anybody remember an epidemic in any school before the schools were closed down? No epidemic. We closed them down to prevent this. But here's the question. At the time, they didn't know this, but we do know now kids don't get sick from this. They very rarely get sick from this. They very rarely die from this. If you're under 25, you are more likely to die from a lightning strike than you are from COVID. Now, the opposite is true if you're above 75. It is a dangerous disease, and we should all acknowledge that. But we should also acknowledge something that Dr. Fauci won't tell you, refuses to tell you, and it's probably the most important thing I'll tell you today. If one of you gets COVID or somebody in your family gets the disease, there is a treatment. But there is a window of time in which you must take the treatment. It's called monoclonal antibodies. If you begin to get a bronchitis and you begin to cough and you're getting sick, particularly if you have any age on you or any extra weight on you, and you begin to get a cough, at the earliest signs of bronchitis, you can get the monoclonal antibodies and they'll save your life. President Trump got them. Giuliani got them. Chris Christie got them. I have a family member with metastatic cancer who got them. You can survive this thing, but you can't wait. If you wait too long, I have another friend who got this in his early 40s. He waited too long and he was just about to go on the ventilator when he got to the hospital. They said the monoclonal antibodies don't work. So instead of these TV doctors saying, oh, the mask is so good, and if you'll just wear your mask is more important than the vaccine. No, it's not. 80% of the people getting this are wearing a mask. All right, so we got one more stupid little break, and then we're going to wrap it up here. A hospital. You go to your local hospital, and you ask your doctor, when he goes, he or she goes into a COVID patient's room, what kind of mask they wear. They're not allowed to wear a cut-up piece of T-shirt over their face. They wear an N95 mask. That's the only mask that works. So when Dr. Fauci came out and said no mask works, he was lying to you. But he was lying to you for your own good. It's sort of a, one of Plato's noble lies because you're too stupid, according to Dr. Fauci, to make any kind of rational decisions. So he just told you they all didn't work. And that wasn't true. The N95 masks work. The cloth masks don't. Surgical masks a little bit better, but still don't work that good. The N95 mask works. So if you're going to wear a mask, wear one that works. Don't wear the pretend mask like Dr. Fauci wears. He wears three pretend masks, even though he's already been vaccinated. So the thing is, he lied to us and said they don't work. Then a month later, he came out and he lied again when he said they all work. The truth is somewhere in between. Some masks work, if worn properly, primarily in a hospital setting. The only randomized study of masks that was done in a hospital N95 masks worked. The cloth masks were less than the control. So the people that didn't wear an infection got le didn't wear a mask got less infections than the people who wore the cloth mask. And yet, what are we doing? We're everybody around the country walking around with two or three cloth masks on, suffocating from these masks and not getting any benefit at all, according to the science. And then we have governors mandating all this stuff, and there's no science to back it up. The governor wants 2.5 million of us to be vaccinated before we get any of our freedoms back. 
What science is that based on? Now, you could argue, I'd still not be for him making these decisions, but you could argue if he was looking at the death rate or the incidence, he just came up with a number. He's pulled out this number from under his hat and says, we've got to have 2.5 million. Well, really, the thing is, is he's discounting natural immunity as well. What about all the people who have had it? You know, as many people have been vaccinated, about that many people have also had it in Kentucky. If you add them together, I think we're doing pretty well. And if you look at 85% of people over 65, I think we're doing extraordinarily well around the country. If you look at the daily numbers, the incidence is coming down, the deaths coming down. We have a lot of good things going on. But we've crippled the restaurant, the bars, the hotels, the hair salons. I know someone in Bowling Green, she's been cutting hair for 30 years. She's always been a Democrat. She voted for Bashir, and she said never again. She's switching her registration. She, can't, she has three people cutting hair for her. She can't do her business because of all of his restrictions. She's probably done one half the income or one third the income. So we need our freedom back. It's not that there's no danger. There are dangers, but we should all assess these, assess our risks on our own, and we shouldn't lie to people. So That's good advice. Uh, one of the things that's true uh, also is the AZ audit's coming back. Domino effect that's gonna take place. Uh, Again, the recount is different than an audit. This is not a recount. This is an audit going on. So they're back with more tables. Um, But again, the results of the Arizona audit won't be had until at least another month to two months. So I think we're looking at Independence Day or somewhere in that neighborhood. I think maybe, maybe late June. Uh, but it's going to be at least a month from now uh, that we are going to be in a situation where we're still going to be waiting and seeing. But we've already seen so many things. But you wonder then, you know, like how it is that in Georgia or in all these different places uh, in Michigan, that county, the judges don't seem to want to hear these cases. So, you know, we're still battling with that. But I think that the AZ audit, that's going to be an official, that's going to be like a ironclad proof that either fraud happened or fraud was a myth. And we'll find out. But if it turns out that fraud happened, and it's off to the races with the other states, and we have time. To, to, to do these audits in other states before the 2022 election. we got to get rid of these algorithms and, and, and fraudulent machines. With that, um, that brings us to the end of our show. My name's Scott Adams. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. Be sure to check out magapack.org, buglecall.org, and check out our podcasts over at scottadamsshow.com. All right, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye now. Pull a little deeper, just to bury my kids right up to there. 